and we will read, please, from the verse 17. Romans chapter 12 and the verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. We'll seek the Lord's face together briefly in prayer, looking to the Lord for his help as we come to the scriptures together. Our gracious Father, we thank thee for all that we have heard already today. We thank thee that already we've been reminded of the Christ of Calvary. And Lord, we pray that help will be given as we come now then to consider the challenging words that are before us. Oh Lord, I pray for that needed help from on high. Come and give help in the preaching, give help in the hearing. We pray that the Lord's name will be magnified in this season together. We pray in our Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in seeking to illustrate the great truth of the final verse of this chapter, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good, told the story of a young woman who was a student in Cambridge University in the late 1940s. And this young lady was the secretary of the Communist Party in the university. During her time at university, there was a particular harsh winter, and many of the pipes in the building were frozen, and so the washrooms were limited. There was limited access to the washrooms, and if you needed to have a bath, then you had to stand in a queue, uh, just wait until your, your time. In the same student accommodation where this young lady was living, there was also a Christian. And during that frustrating time when there was this problem with access to warm water, the the young Christian girl would not assert her rights. And so if someone tried to get in in front of her to get a bath ahead of her, the young Christian didn't complain. She would just stand back. She was not selfish. And that act, or those acts, made the communist girl think. She claimed to believe in equality. She claimed to believe in equal access. But as she began to 
look at her own life, she realized, I preach these things to others, but I don't live them myself. I don't want equality. I want to be treated better than everyone else. But here is this lady, and she doesn't have the political views that I have, but she puts others ahead of herself. And even when she is being mistreated, when someone, as it were, has taken the place that was hers rightly in that queue, what has she done? She has not been overcome of evil, but she has overcome evil with good. And ultimately, through that, Lloyd-Jones says that the communist girl was brought to faith and repentance. And in time, the Lord called her to be a missionary. That was how Lloyd-Jones came to meet her as she applied to engage in missionary work. By showing kindness, the Christian girl had overcome evil with good. By showing kindness, the Christian girl had heaped coals of fire on the head of another with the most blessed outcome and will come to that thought in a moment or two. Now, there's no doubt that Romans chapter 12 is full of very challenging commands. And in the latter part of the chapter, Paul follows a pattern where he is saying, there are things that you are not to do, but then there are things that you are to do. So there are things that you should not engage in, but then there are things that you, as a believer, must engage in. And he comes to this great climax, this great summary, this great conclusion in verse 21. Be not overcome of evil. Don't let evil overcome you, but overcome evil with good. Now, Romans chapter 12 has rightly been likened to the Sermon on the Mount. And there are certainly great similarities between the instructions that Paul gives in Romans chapter 12 and the instructions that the Lord gave in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And seeing those similarities certainly exposes the folly of those that would seek to pitch Paul against Jesus Christ. There are those foolishly today that will say, I don't follow Paul, I follow Jesus. As if their message was different. And so they say, I don't like what Paul says in the book of Romans about justification. But I like all the nice things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Evidently they need to go back and read the Sermon on the Mount again. Paul's letters are the inspired word of God. They are as authoritative as the Gospels are. What I want you to see here is, is that the two are actually in harmony. What Jesus was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount was the same message as Paul here in Romans chapter 12. In the Sermon on the Mount, the opening section, the Beatitudes, is saying that we have to begin with the gospel. And the gospel then enables Christian living. Paul is saying the same thing. That having been justified by faith, there is to be this 
sacrificial living, this life in the altar, as we saw in Romans 12.1. And here's another expression. Don't let evil overcome you, but overcome evil with good. We are not saved by works, but we are saved unto them. And what a challenge. What, what a requirement, as it were, is before us. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And as we think about this text, overcoming evil with good, I want to see, first of all, with you, our great motto. Our great motto, the great purpose of the Christian. And, of course, it's set forth in the first question and answer in the catechism, the short catechism, is to live to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Now that great principle, do all to the glory of God, stands in perfect harmony with these words in verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, we see there in this verse, there are two great forces. And these forces are striving one against another. Good against evil and evil against good. But what does verse 21 teach us? Verse 21 teaches us that good is stronger than evil. Overcome evil. And you can't overcome evil with evil. That's what Paul is showing in the first part of the verse. So you can't overcome evil with evil. How then can evil be overcome? Overcome evil with good. Isn't it abundantly clear then that good is stronger than evil? Now in the Greek language, the word evil is always preceded by the word the. And so we can read the verse in that way. Be not overcome of the evil, but overcome evil, overcome the evil with the good. And in the New Testament, sometimes Satan is described as the evil one. And so the very word that's used here for evil is sometimes used in the New Testament to describe Satan himself. In other words, what we are being shown here is not only that good is stronger than evil. But Christ is greater than Satan. The one who is the good is greater than the evil. Now, this is not to underestimate the power of evil. Evil has great power. But praise God... Through good, evil can be overcome. And Paul then is teaching us here that the Christian is to be, as we were singing in a moment or two ago, an overcomer. We are to overcome. Our life is to be one of overcoming. We are, again, to use the language of Paul, we are to be more than conquerors. We are to be super conquerors, not through our own strength, not through our own good that we would work up, but through the gospel, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you look back with me 
in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and the verse 22. Luke chapter 11 and we'll actually read the verse 21. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Uh, the strong man keeping his palace in verse 21 is the devil. Uh, the strong man has control over fallen mankind. He is deluded man and he is determined to keep man under his control. But the gospel has revealed one that is stronger than the strong man. So verse 22, when as stronger than he shall come. Who is the one that is stronger than the strong man? Who is the one that is stronger than the evil man? It's the good. It's Jesus Christ himself. When a stronger than he shall come and shall overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor and he trusted. And uh, what has been described here is the great conquest of Christ. He goes into the stronghold of Satan on the merit of his own person and work and he takes souls from Satan's control. But as we bring this back then to Romans chapter 12, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The Lord overcame when he rescued you, dear believer. And through him then, you are to overcome. John chapter 16 and the verse 33. John 16 and the verse 33. In the latter part of the verse it says, In the world ye shall have tribulation, you will have trouble, you'll be squeezed, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the evil world. And so, as you Christian live in this world, don't be overcome by the evil that's still in it. But overcome evil with good. Uh, one more text, First John 2, 14. Again, the latter part of the verse there, John says, I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. And we were hearing earlier that uh, the young don't have all the life experience of the older, but one thing that the young do have is strength, generally speaking. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. And ye have overcome. You've overcome the wicked one. And John there is saying, just as we expect that the young man in his prime would have strength, so we expect the Christian to be overcoming. You've overcome the wicked one. Now, if you think about this text then, we can be overcome by evil. Isn't that what verse 21 implies, Romans 12, 21? Be not overcome of evil. There are times that evil can overcome us. Not in the sense of Satan snatching us out of the Lord's hand. That cannot happen. 
But in the life of the Christian, there can be failure. In the life of the Christian, there are times when we yield to temptation. In the life of the Christian, there are times that we give in to those filthy desires of the flesh. But we don't want that. Not only do we not want to live in defeat, we want to live in a God-glorifying way. And so I come back to this first point, our motto, we're living to God's glory. How is God glorified? God is not glorified when we are overcome by evil. But God most certainly is glorified when we overcome evil with good. Is God glorified when we lose our temper? Is God glorified when we return evil for evil? Is God glorified when we complain in the same way that the ungodly complain? We all know that that's not how God is glorified. We are to show that God is greater than Satan. We are to show that Satan has been defeated in the cross. And how are we to show it? In this overcoming evil with good. John Millward was one of those preachers who was ejected from his pulpit in what is referred to as the Great Ejection in England when non-conformist ministers were removed from their ministries. They were expelled on account of their non-conformity. And I was struck that he preached on this particular text. And so he had suffered the loss of his pulpit, ejected from the building where he had preached. And he sought to take this principle. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. But he said this, and it's very challenging. One great reason why Christianity hath made no greater progress in the world in latter times. And remember, he's speak, speaking the times of the Puritan, Puritans when there was certainly great progress. So how much more it's true today. One great reason why Christianity hath made no greater progress in the world in latter times is because Christians have not been so conversant in this duty. He's saying, Christians in his day are not conversant with Romans 12, 21, as they were in primitive times. Now, if that was true in the Puritan era, how much more today? We ignore this great duty. But if we do, we are attacking the glory of God. If you go back to verse 20, or sorry, verse 19, Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved. Why does Paul begin this verse with dearly beloved? He's surely appealing to the people. I think he wants to show them that he's concerned for them. I'm not saying this to make life difficult for you. I'm saying this because I do love you and it's for your good. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Don't live by the principle of getting even. I must have personal vengeance. Avenge not yourselves, but rather 
give place unto wrath. Uh, give, give room to it. And so he quotes then from Deuteronomy 32, 35, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Don't give vent to your own wrath, Paul is saying. But rather, when it comes to, to wrath, wrath is the Lord's prerogative. And leave to God what is His to do. It's God's work to do the avenging. It's God's work to to deal with sinners as they have done ill against you. And Paul is surely showing us that surely it's only God that can give just punishment for that suffering that you endure. So when you suffer at the hands of others, Your wrath is not actually sufficient. Only God can give just punishment. And in effect then Paul is saying, let God do what he alone can do. Avenge not yourselves. Rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And we come then to verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. So you're to show kindness, for in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now some have scratched their head at these words, put coals of fire on the head of another. And they've come away with a very bizarre view that what Paul is saying is that you show kindness outwardly but you don't really mean it in your heart. And so their view is that you offer the glass of water or you give the meal, but all the time you're hoping that they will still have their same hard heart so that in the end the Lord will add punishment to punishment. So they should have been grateful for the glass of water or the meal, but you're hoping that they won't be in order that there'll be more punishment to follow. Now, I say it's bizarre because it's completely against the whole flow of what Paul is saying in this particular chapter. Now, sadly, there will be cases where even despite good intent, there are some that just can't be pleased. That's why Paul says in verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. There are some and as the saying goes, if you stood on your head, they still wouldn't be pleased. So Paul acknowledges that. But what is the desire in verse 20? The desire is that the heart of the sinner will be humbled through kindness. As we saw in that illustration that I used in the beginning. You think if you take a piece of metal and put it into coals of fire. What happens to the metal? It is softened. It becomes malleable. And this, I believe, is the illustration that Paul is using. That sinner that has wronged you, 
He's hard. He's stubborn. You long before God that that sinner would be softened. What are you to do? You're to give water to the thirsty, food to the hunger. There, there are to be these acts of kindness that through that there would be the softening of the metal as it were. That there would then be the bringing of penitence and brokenness. Vengeance, just on our part that is. Vengeance on our part just stirs up more vengeance. And so Paul says, don't overcome, sorry, don't be overcome by evil. Do not overcome, do, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Our motto were to live to the glory of God. But then secondly, our great mourning. If we understand ourselves aright at all, when we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 21, we ought to be full of great grief. Because is it not the case that very often it's the first clause of the verse that has described us? When we have been faced with evil, and evil here it includes suffering, it includes opposition, it includes mistreatment. When we have been mistreated, what has been the result? We have known failure in our Christian lives. We have not responded in a right manner. We have been overcome. We have followed our natural inclination. We have followed our Adamic nature, as it were. And so it brings us right back to Romans chapter 7, where Paul describes that great struggle in the life of the Christian. The old man is fighting against the new. The flesh is lusting against the spirit. And so there are times when we suffer at the hands of others. And there is this struggle. And the flesh wants to use that opportunity to bring defeat in your life, Christian. But the truth is that very often we have given in to the flesh. And so this is the morning. We are to cry out with Paul in Romans 7, 24. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Why do I keep failing? But praise God, Paul was not there left in despair. But he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so if we consider then verse 21 in light of Romans 7, be not overcome of evil. Who is going to deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, therefore overcome evil with good. Here is a prayer, or rather here is a verse that exhorts us to pray for victory. 
Colossians 3.15, it speaks of the peace that rules in our hearts. Peace is not always ruled in our hearts. The word rule in that verse, it has the idea of being the umpire. Being the one that makes the determination. So often, it's the flesh that has been the umpire. May our prayer be, let peace rule in my heart. May I be enabled to overcome evil with good. Now, I do understand that the principle of chapter 12, 21 does not rule out every other principle in Scripture. And so some would take Romans 12, 21 and they would isolate from everything else the Bible says. But that's why we have Romans 13 in the Bible. That the state does have a duty to protect its people from evil. Those that the Lord has raised up into political authority, they have great responsibilities. And so in coming weeks we will come to see that. And so if someone has broken the rule of law, the judge is not just to smile at the criminal and say, let's just be friends. No. There is to be the enforcement of the sword. Chapter 13 of the book of Romans. Nor is it wrong for us to appeal to civil government. Paul did. In Acts chapter 16, the latter part of the chapter, Paul felt that he and Silas had been mistreated. He not just believed that he was right. Acts 16, 35 to 39, you can look that up when you go home. And Paul appealed that the authorities would do their duty. Equally so, in Acts chapter 23, Paul argued that civil authorities have to live up to their responsibility. Just as in the Sermon on the Mount, Paul is speaking here to private citizens. And in our everyday today encounters, in our normal everyday interactions, here's the command. Overcome evil with good. As I say, we mourn that we have not done it. And so, praise God, then we come thirdly to our great model, our great pattern. Christ is the perfect man. He is our great exemplar. And so, Peter, in 1 Peter, we could say, brings us some commentary on this very thought that we have been looking at of Paul's 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. 1 Peter 2 and verse 21 For even hereunto, actually we'll read verse 20, you'll see that it really is describing the same thing as Paul is. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And notice these words then. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. 
When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And the latter part of that verse, 1 Peter 2.23, corresponds with what Paul says in Romans 12. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. And Christ in his humanity then, he committed the vengeance, the wrath, into the hands of the Father. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. But Christ there in his suffering in his humanity when he was reviled, he didn't return equal for equal. He didn't give them the same coin as it were. When he suffered, he threatened not. And so... What was to happen, Judas? He committed that to the Lord. What was to be done with Pilate and Herod? These Roman soldiers, the Roman crowds, it was committed to the Lord. But what did Christ do? Christ prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He overcame evil with good. Now, in a very real sense, you were there that day. You were in the crowd crying out, crucify him. Because it was an account of sin that he was there. It was an account of our sin that he had to be nailed to the cross. And as you see the ugliness of your sin there, as it's demonstrated in the horror of Calvary, Christ did not lash out. Rather, he said, he prayed, Father, forgive them. He overcame evil with good. Now, if Christ could do that in the greatest suffering that has ever taken place, How can we say, I can't obey Romans 12, 21? And so I ask the question, is it possible to follow the pattern? Now, the pattern is great, and we will never follow it in the, in the fullest sense. But can we follow the pattern? When you think about Acts chapter 7, where Stephen was stoned, or about to be stoned, and we have in Acts chapter 7 mention of Saul of Tarsus. Remember how those that were about to stone Stephen, they took off their coats and they cast them at the feet of Saul of Tarsus. And surely the implication is that Stephen saw that man. Stephen, I think, saw Saul of Tarsus. Bearing that in mind, Acts 7, 60, he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. What Christ-likeness. Praying for those that did such evil against him. In that moment, he couldn't give them food or drink. The only thing he could do was to pray. 
But in his prayer, he overcame evil with good. Way back in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 50, remember how after the death of Jacob, Joseph's brothers were wondering, will Joseph now repay us evil for evil? Yes, he was kind when our father was alive, but with that restraint gone, how is Joseph going to deal with us now? They said he will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. He is going to bring vengeance. Joseph said unto them, Genesis fifty nineteen, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Is it my duty to bring vengeance? Are the words, vengeance is mine, I will repay? Are those the words of Joseph? He says, no. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass it as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph's testimony was this by the grace of God evil has not overcome me. I have not been destroyed by the sin of my brothers. By God's grace, he says, I have overcome evil with good. This is to be the testimony of the Christian. Don't let your suffering, don't let your trials destroy you, but overcome. Overcome that evil, overcome that suffering with good. As we come to a close, the gospel is certainly set forth there in those words of Joseph. For Joseph, As he saw the evil and yet responded in good, it was pointing forward to Jesus Christ. And Joseph was able to say, God meant it to good, to save much people alive. And Christ as the great model, Christ as the great exemplar, was able to pray, Father, forgive them, because this was the purpose, to save a people. And maybe in the closing moments of this meeting, in this part of the meeting, there are some and you sit, you're still unconverted. You have never yet come to Christ. You've never yet known that forgiveness. Oh, dear sinner, come and respond to the glorious invitation in the gospel today. Do not go on in the way of evil. Do not go on in the way of Christ's rejection but come to the Lord for mercy. God meant it unto good to save much people alive. We trust the Lord will take his word and write it upon all of our hearts. We'll bow together, please, in prayer. What challenging words we have both for the believer and for the unbeliever. In ourselves, we have no hope of obeying this command. But let us cast ourselves upon the Lord afresh.
confessing. At times, many times I've failed, but enable me to be the Christ-like man, the Christ-like woman, the Christ-like youth to overcome evil with good. Our gracious Father, write thy holy truth upon our hearts, we pray. Continue to strive with us. And Lord, we pray that we will know more of that victory in our Christian lives. Oh Lord, we pray that you will abide with us at the table. Oh Lord, we pray that we will be drawn again to Calvary and that we will be enabled to feast upon our Saviour afresh. Be with those that must go and be with thy people throughout this day. In our Lord's name we pray.